Thank you for downloading the One Church Gloucester podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. For those of you that don't know, my name is Amy, and um, I've got the privilege of the next half hour or so just to be able to share a word from the Bible. We are a Bible-believing church. Yes, we are a Jesus believing church um, and we are very enthusiastic about the message so you will hear people shouting me down positively um, and that is because they are excited about what we are doing what we are saying this morning and um, we are in the second week of our Christmas series is anyone feeling a little bit more Christmassy this week than last week good Excellent. I think the weather's helped us because it's been really cold. Um, we are in our Christmas series and we are following the journey of the typically three wise men, traditionally three wise men. We're following the journey of the Magi as they followed the stars. So we're going to start this morning by reading the key passage for this series. And the great thing is, even if this is your very first time in church, you will most probably have heard this story before. You may have even acted it out in a nativity of some sort as one of the magi. Um, and so you will know it already. It will be familiar, hopefully. But we're going to read this from Matthew chapter 2. So if you want, you can open up your Bible to follow along, or it will be on the screen, or you can get your app um, ready, and we'll read it. Um, Matthew chapter 2 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Say disturbed. 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 And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Ju Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Say, overjoyed? Overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um, and my prayer this morning is that God would just speak to us um, through these next moments that we've got together, because it's nothing to do with what I say, but it's all about how God wants to speak to you this morning. He's passionate about you and wants to say something to you. And so I'm just going to pray this morning that each and every one of us will just have a word and we'll all hear the same message, but we'll all hear something different as well. So something that we need right now, something that speaks into our situation and our um, circumstance right now. So are you ready? I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that you are here and you've already been moving and working in this service so far. And we pray, God, that you would just take these next 20 minutes or so and that you would speak to us. 
God, we don't want to miss a single word that you've got to say to us this morning because your words are life, your words are hope and purpose and joy and vision for our lives. So God, open our ears and our hearts to be able to hear you this morning personally, individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I wonder this morning, have you ever underestimated someone or something? Have you ever underestimated someone or something? Um, about maybe 10 years ago, we went on holiday as a family and we went to a theme park. And the theme park was Warner Brothers Movie World, I think it was called. And one of the rides that we went on was this ride behind me. It is um, Arkham Asylum, it's called. And there are some pretty um, sweet loops and twists and turns and things. And um, as you were queuing, as you got nearer to the beginning of the ride, there were signs that were just warning you what you were about to undertake. And they were recommending certain people do the ride, certain people don't um, go on the ride. And there were signs warning you about different things. They were warning you to take your things out of your pockets. I thought it was very sensible. Things could just drop out of your pockets as you were getting turned upside down. That was fine. And then I saw a sign that said, uh, remove shoes. Recommended that you remove your shoes. And I thought, like, come on, like, who really? That ride's not going to be that intense. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to keep my shoes on. That's totally fine. Um, cut to five minutes later, I get off the ride completely barefoot, having lost both of my shoes as they were flung um, all the way across on the loop-de-loop. And I had very, very greatly underestimated how bad that ride was going to be. And all of us will have underestimated something at some point. My brother Nathan, on the front row, for example, um, if you speak to him later, he has got a sweet little slice taken out of his head this week as he underestimated the height of a shelf and stood up and headbutted it um, very forcefully, leaving him with a lovely indent in his skull. Um, so he underestimated something which cost him greatly. And we've all been guilty of underestimating something at some point. It may have been this very week when you stepped outside thinking fooled, perhaps, that you could wear your light layers as you'd been doing for so long, only to realise that what you needed were your hefty thermals as the temperature had plummeted this week. Or maybe you had underestimated the traffic on the M5. Anyone ever done that? You set out on your journey underestimated the traffic completely and you know that the M5 is always going to be busy so you never underestimate it. Another example... I think of when we can underestimate something in this time of year is with wrapping paper. And so, you know, when you, you lay out your wrapping paper to wrap a gift, you place the gift on it, you measure each side an adequate amount of wrapping paper, you cut the wrapping paper, and then somehow, I don't know what happens in between that moment of measuring, you aim to fold your present in the wrapping paper and there is a gap of about this much where the wrapping paper will not fold over that present and you've incredibly underestimated the amount of wrapping paper that you need. Anyone done that? All the time. All the time. Yes. I don't know what happens. We all underestimate things. And not just things, but we can underestimate people as well, can't we? Yeah. And I was reading this week um, of stories of people who underestimated celebrities. So, for example, um, Judy Dench one like great actress she's won tons of awards and baftas and things oscar winner as well yes at her first casting audition she was told by the director that she would never shine in a movie because she wasn't beautiful enough i know 
Another example that I read of, so in 1962, four men um, went in to sign with a record label, only to be told and rejected, told that guitar groups were going out of fashion, so they were rejected. So the Beatles went and signed with another label instead. They were incredibly underestimated. And all of us, probably not to the same extent or with the same result, all of us will have underestimated someone or something at some point. And I think that's what we can see in this story that we read. And when we look specifically at Herod's reaction, for example, I think when we look at his reaction, we can see that he underestimates who was being born. He underestimates this king of the Jews, Jesus, that was being born. Because if you have a look, so verse 3 shows us that when the city, when Herod heard that this new king had been born, their reaction was that they were disturbed. They were disturbed. And if you look at the original language, it means that they were agitated, troubled, they were rendered anxious or distressed. It means inward commotion and taking away one's calmness of mind. That was a pretty extreme reaction, right? Yeah. It was a pretty intense reaction to some news. Um, but if you look into the history of Herod's rule and reign as king, it makes a little bit more sense why they reacted in that way. In 2007, uh, an expert in Jewish history collaborated with a psychiatrist to paint a psychological portrait of Herod the Great. And so they collected all the evidence from different historians over the years, and they documented this. They documented that through Herod's life, he suffered from ongoing violent mood swings and was haunted by persecutory delusions of plots being formed against him. And not only did Herod suffer from paranoid delusions about people conspiring against him, but he acted on his delusions by executing anyone he perceived to be a threat to his throne, even his own family members. And it's really interesting as you look into his history, because actually he executed a lot of people. He was not a good guy. He executed his brother-in-law for conspiring against him. He suspected his two sons of conspiring against him, so he charged them with treason, and they were executed by way of strangulation. Mm, not a nice way to go, I imagine. And also, his firstborn, favoured son, heir to the throne, destined to reign after him, Herod thought that he was plotting against him, and so five days before Herod died, he executed his son as well for plotting against him. Like, that is how crazy messed up this guy was. And he was so paranoid about anybody plotting against him, anybody conspiring against him to take over his throne, that it's not hard for us to understand that when he heard another king of the Jews was about, when another king of the Jews had been born, like, he was, he was pretty upset. Like, he was not okay with that. And of course, the city, hearing that as well, just thought, imagine what Herod was going to do now, now that he heard that this king had been born, like what lengths he would go to to eliminate this threat. And so I think we can see that when Herod heard the news, we can imagine that he automatically assumed that this new king would be like every other old king. So he associated what he knew about this king with everything he'd experienced from kings in the past. So he assumed that this king was going to plot against him, was going to try and conspire against him to overthrow his rule and to take over his throne. That's what he thought of and expected when he heard about this king of the Jews. And his reaction then was one of fear and worry and paranoia and negativity. 
because he had an incorrect estimation of this new king. And his incorrect estimation resulted in an incorrect expectation. And I think that that can be true in our lives, that our estimation determines our expectation. Our estimation of someone determines our expectation of them. For example, uh, Christmas this year, when you receive a gift, uh, if you esteem the gift giver, if you've got a high estimation of that gift giver, you will have a high expectation of the gift they're about to give you. So if you know that you, you've got a friend that is just an excellent gift giver, they always know what you want, even though you don't say it. They always get something that's so personal. It's so perfectly wrapped with no spaces in the wrapping whatsoever. And they've always done that. You know that thing where you, you string out the ribbon with the swirly bow thing? Yes, they do that perfectly. I have no idea how they do it. We've got these friends that are excellent gift givers. And because we hold them in high esteem as a person, because we know they are an excellent gift giver, we've got a high expectation that their gift is going to be good. Yeah? On the flip side, Secret Santa at work. If you've ever had to do Secret Santa at work, like, it's meant to be a secret, but what everybody does is they try and work out who's got who. And so by process of elimination, you work out who's going to be buying a gift for you. And depending on who that person is will be a good or bad thing, because your hope is that they are that perfect gift giver that is going to be buying your Secret Santa present. But what can happen is you can end up finding out that you've been lumbered with Barry from accounting who is never good at buying gifts, who always leaves it to the last minute, doesn't usually speak to other human beings, so has no idea what they like. And you know that because of your estimation of Barry from accounting, that your expectation of the gift is going to be low. And you know that it's going to be unwrapped, never used, given to the charity shop. Yeah? Your estimation determines your expectation. And if you have a low estimation of someone, you have a low expectation of them. And Herod, in this story, we see that he had an incorrect estimation of this king. He had an incorrect estimation of what Jesus had come to do. He had an incorrect estimation of who he was and what he had come to do. Who he was and what he had come to do. And I wonder whether that can be true of us as well today. That we not only underestimate people or things sometimes, but we can actually underestimate who God is and what he came to do. And as I was um, like praying and preparing for today, just had this sense, like um, almost like the heart of God was like just crying out that there are people in this room that are underestimating who he is and what he has come to do in your life. And maybe you're here and you are underestimating what he can do in your situation right now. There might be a really specific need that you can think of and your expectation of what God can do is super low. And it results, if we've got a low estimation, if we don't esteem God, then our expectation is low. And maybe you've stopped praying for that need because you're not really expecting God to do anything with it. Maybe you, you're at school and you've stopped talking to people about God at school because it's not making any difference. You've stopped talking to your colleagues at work because you're not expecting God to step in and do anything significant. Maybe you're here and you've stopped going to God with your pain and your problems and your issues because it's easier to go to somebody else. 
And when we underestimate who God is, we underestimate what he can do in our lives. And what happens then is we try to find, if we don't esteem God as our king, if we don't esteem him for what he can do, then we start looking to other kings in our lives. And we start making a king out of ourselves. We start making a king out of our career, out of a relationship, out of our income, out of our reputation. And the thing is, we see from the reaction of the city that when a king other than God is king, if Herod is the king, then the fruit of that is being disturbed. It is anxiety and fear and worry and stress about what the future holds. That is the fruit of having a king other than the true king. And if we underestimate who he is, we underestimate what he can do. I was listening to a podcast this week and in it, Tim Keller said this. He said, if you're pessimistic about what God can do in your life, you're no longer treating him as king. If you're pessimistic about what God can do in your life, you're no longer treating him as king. If you underestimate who he is, you will underestimate what he can do in your life. And we see this time and time again that it wasn't just when Jesus was born he was underestimated, but throughout his life, throughout his ministry, people just kept underestimating him. And in Isaiah, it says this about Jesus. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. And that word esteem is derived from the same word that we get estimation from. It means to assess or judge the value of something. And throughout the ministry and life of Jesus, people didn't esteem him as God. They didn't esteem him as king. Time and time again, they underestimated him. And in this story, the city and Herod are underestimating who this king is. They're underestimating Jesus. But then we see an unnumbered, unnamed group of people who esteem this baby as king. They esteem him as God. And the Magi's reaction to this news is in complete contrast with the reaction of Herod and the city. Complete contrast. And in verse 10, we see that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed at the news that this king had been born. And the King James Version says that they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they went to worship. They went to give their gifts and they esteemed him. When everybody else was underestimating this king, when everybody else was focused on the circumstance, when everybody else was believing the worst, when everybody else was fearful of the future, when everybody else had an incorrect estimation of this king, the Magi esteemed him as God. And therefore their expectation was one of hope. It was one of joy. It was one of peace. It was one of a future future for their nation their high esteem resulted in a high expectation and when we see this king for who he truly is when we see this baby born at this time of year when we see this baby as he truly is this king as he truly is it changes everything because if we have a correct 
estimation of this king, we will have a correct expectation of what he can do in our lives, what he can do in this church, what he can do in this city, what he can do in your family. We have a correct expectation. Amen. And I wonder whether that's why Matthew, who writes this account, I wonder whether that's why he's so passionate that we know that Jesus is the king. He is the true king. Because out of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have a specific aim, a specific characteristic of Jesus that they want to portray to us, that they want you to understand. And Matthew is all about us knowing that Jesus is the true king, that he is bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And he does this. So like, let me just highlight this for you for a second. Because as you begin in the book of Matthew, he starts with a genealogy. And we can sometimes read that and think, oh, it's a bunch of names, just skim past. But Matthew's doing that because he's linking Jesus to the kingly line of King David. He's a king. And then Matthew goes on to say how Jesus fulfilled every single Old Testament prophecy about the birth of the Messiah, about how he would be born in Bethlehem, how nations would come to worship him, how he would be born of the Holy Spirit, so that he wasn't just a mere human, but he was God with us, Emmanuel. And then by recording Jesus's teachings and his miracles, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is announcing and outworking the kingdom of God. He is bringing it to us and outworking it amongst us. Matthew wants us to see that in and through Jesus, God the King has come. God the King has come, and this King has come to bring freedom to the captives. This King has come to bring salvation to the lost. This King has come to restore sight to the blind and the lonely to families. This King has come to heal the sick and raise the dead. This King has come to bring an end to the reign of sin, to bring an end to the reign of death. And Matthew wants us to know that this baby that was born was not just another baby. He wasn't just another King, but he was the King, the true King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, above every other authority, every other name. And this King has come to bring an end to the reign of sin, an end to the reign of darkness. He came so that he could bring an end to the reign of the enemy in your life. He came to bring an end to the reign of sin and addiction in your life. He came to bring an end to the reign of depression in your life, to the end, an end to the reign of sickness in your life. And as we were worshiping earlier, I just felt like God wanted, uh, wanted to break like generational struggles. We sometimes use the word generational curses. He came to bring an end to generational struggles in your life. That's what he does when he brings his kingdom. And when you become a Christian, it says that you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that God loves. You are translated into an entirely new kingdom. So you are no longer operating under the kingdom of darkness, but he has brought you up out of that kingdom and placed you in a new kingdom, the kingdom of the son that he loves. And he invites you to reign with him not just to be subject to him, which would be amazing because he is the perfect, perfect king. But he invites you to reign with him in this life, to reign with him in this life. And when we 
esteem him for who he is. When we see him for who he truly is, it changes everything. There was a pastor in 1976 who preached a message. His pastor's name was Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. What a name, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And in 1976, he was a pastor in America and he had been preaching a message that was like an hour long and at the end of his message, he ended with this summary, a description of this king, a description of who this king is. And it has become one of his most popular messages ever. It's become world renowned. And some of you may have heard this. It's on YouTube so you can find it. But this is a brilliant description of who this king is. And I want to play it to you. And as you watch it, allow it just to challenge your estimation of this king. Allow it just to challenge something. As you hear his description of who this king is, allow it to challenge your estimation and raise your expectation of who he is and what he has come to do. So let's watch this together. Thanks, guys. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, but yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. 
without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Anybody grateful this morning that that is our king? That is my king. That is my king. And that is your king. That is your king. Imagine if we lived like that is our king. Imagine if we loved like that is our king. Imagine if we had compassion like that is our king. Imagine if we were generous like that is our king. Imagine if you prayed like that is your king. Imagine if you came here and worshipped like that is our king. Imagine what that would look like. And imagine if we allowed that, if we allowed that estimation, if we allowed that clarity and that perspective of who he is, if we allowed that to influence our day at work tomorrow, how would you speak to your colleagues? How would you serve your boss? How would that change the way that you live? Imagine if we let that influence the way that we serve our departments in church. Like how would you believe for something differently? Imagine if you let that influence a bad report that you hear. Imagine how your reaction would be different, believing that that is your king. Imagine if we let that influence us this Christmas season. Imagine what our Christmas would look like, believing that that is our king. Church, we have been underestimating God far too long. I have been underestimating God far too long in areas of my life. We have been underestimating what he can do in this church for far too long. You have been underestimating what he can do with the gifts in your life for far too long. And it's it's time for us to raise our expectation of what he can do. It's time for us to esteem him for who he is, to esteem him for the God and King that he is. Because when we do, it changes our expectation completely. And if we live like this is our King, then like the wise men, our reaction will be completely contrasting. Our lives will be completely contrasting to those of society that we live in because the rest of society was fearful, the rest of society was anxious, the rest of society was worried about what the future would hold, but the wise men, the magi, were steadfast and confident because they knew who their king was, they knew who this king was. And their response was then full of joy and hope, anticipating what he would do. And if we live 
like this is our king, then our reaction when society is in turmoil, our reaction when society is full of anxiety, and one in four girls are affected with mental health issues at the moment, one in four teenage girls, if the rest of society knows that to be their statistic, our reaction doesn't have to be one of worry and fear of the future because we know who our king is. And our reaction could be one of faith. It could be one of defiance that we're not going to settle for that. We're not going to settle for that report. We're not going to settle for that report of bad health in our lives. We're not going to settle for what other people say. We're not going to settle for what the enemy says over our life. But we are going to follow the authority of our King of Kings, name above all names, Lord of Lords, when we esteem him, it changes everything. And so my challenge today is really, really simple. Are you underestimating this king? Are you underestimating who he is or what he can do in your life? And maybe a sign that you are is that you've lost that sense of joy. The Magi were full of joy. They were overjoyed when they heard this news, they were overjoyed when they met this king and maybe you've lost that joy and you're not feeling it anymore. And that can be a result, that can be a fruit of us underestimating who he is and what he can do in our lives. And my encouragement that if you recognise that today, if you recognise there's an area of your life where you are underestimating him, and this is something that you can do this week. In Psalm 69, It says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving, worship, praise, gratitude, magnifies, esteems, lifts up who he is. And so this week, if your estimation and expectation of God is low, esteem him through your worship this week. Esteem him with thanksgiving this week. It may look as simple as writing down what you're thankful for every day. Maybe as simple as posting something that you're thankful for this week. It may look like putting on a worship playlist instead of something else you usually listen to. And let us esteem him, lift him up, elevate him in our expectation, in our thinking, in our hearts, our lives this week. And as a result, our expectation will be one of hope of joy, of peace. Esteem him in your worship this week. When we esteem him as king, it changes everything. And I want to finish today by asking the same question that we heard the preacher ask in that video. So he kept repeating the same question. I wonder, do you know him? I wonder, do you know him? And I want to finish today by asking the same question questions so you may be here for the first time or you may have been in church for ages and you've heard about him but you don't know him you wouldn't say that you know him and so we just want to finish like we do often in our services want to finish with an invitation for you to know him and if you don't know him today then all I'm going to do is just pray for you and you can pop your hand up and um, I'll know who I'm praying for saying I want to know this king I want to know him like you know him. So could we just all bow our heads or close our eyes just for privacy in this moment, concentration in this moment. And if today 
you don't know him, if you recognize that you've heard of him, but you don't know him, then all I want to do is pray and I'm going to count to three. And on three, you can put your hand up. If you say, I want to know this king, I want to know the difference that he makes in my life, then on three, just put your hand up so I can see. Ready? One, two, three. Beautiful. I can see you. I see you. Anybody else this morning? Brilliant. You can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you so much for every hand that has been raised this morning. This cry of a heart that says, I want to know this King. I want to know who he is. And Jesus, I pray that over the next few days, over this week, God, that you would make yourself so known to them. I thank you that right now, God, as people make that decision, they are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and they are transferred into the kingdom of the Son that you love. God, we thank you for your reign in their life is one of hope. It's peace, joy, and righteousness. And God, we pray that um, their life will be different from this moment forward. So we thank you for that decision that they've made in Jesus' name. Can we just celebrate with the people that have made that decision today? Beautiful. And um, can we stand together, church? We're just going to finish by putting this into practice. And so my encouragement this week, go into your week esteeming him with your worship, with thanksgiving, with gratitude and praise. But we're just going to take a moment to see all this, finish off this service by doing just that, by esteeming him with our worship, esteeming him with our praise. So let me encourage you to lift your hands, to sing out these words as we esteem him as our God and King together. Amen. Your